Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Dera Epoch. We have Divya Chinappa here with us today. She is a natural language processing and machine learning researcher. Currently, she works for Thomson Reuters as a research scientist. Her current research focuses around legal natural language processing. She is also very passionate about low resource natural language processing project and she is currently working on Tamar natural language processing projects as well. Thank you so much Divya for being here with us today. Thank you Sanjana for having me. So, how and why did you get into data science? Okay, so I got into data science because of my PhD. Uh I did my PhD in natural language processing. So like this kind of led me to data science and I enjoy the entire process of data science from collecting data uh which includes annotating, calculating disagreements and then analyzing the data set, feature engineering, model building, error analysis and finally deciding which model should go into production. So I I like this entire process. I like every part of the process and uh, work is fun and uh, every day I learn a lot and uh, with every part of the project as I say learn a lot I I'm happy with what I'm doing and it pays well. So that is why I am in data science. And uh, it feels really good to know that I kind of understand how the current technology and AI works and i'm also happy and satisfied that i get to play a role in the future of technology and this is why i'm in data science awesome so yeah. how did you transition into this path and how did your previous experience uh, set you up for this role yeah as i mentioned earlier uh, i'm an nlp researcher meaning language is the data i work with so my love for language brought me into nlp uh which actually brought me to data science so i received my bachelor's and master's from india from anna university and soon after my master's i worked as a lecturer in anna university constituent colleges uh during this time i was teaching regular expressions to my undergrad students uh and i was learning more about regular expressions so i learned about how regular expressions could be used in languages which kind of opened up the broader area of nlp mm-hmm. and both my bachelor's and masters are in computer networks and cryptography so this is sometime around 2012 and uh, but as i learned more about regular expressions and nlp um so i thought like i i found nlp very fascinating so i started working on uh nlp with python like i started trying out basic uh comments python comments for nlp and at some point i decided i should do my phd in nlp so that is how uh i ended up uh, getting a phd in nlp it was a, it was really a hard path because i had to transition from computer networks and cryptography to nlp but uh i'm very happy that i'm here so basically in a nutshell my love for language like trying to understand language semantics and pragmatics brought me to this path that's a very inspiring trajectory thank you for sharing that uh, can mm-hmm. you tell us about a very cool project that you worked on yeah so uh i worked on multiple data uh, sources like tweets youtube comments blogs wikipedia telephone conversations etc 
But in my current job, I get to work with legal NLP, uh, which means I work with cases from U.S. courts. So it's like long text. Mm-hmm. And, tr- and I try to extract a specific information from a case or identify relationship between cases, which is like so much fun uh, for several reasons. The first thing is the way legal experts write the language, right? Like, it's initially it's like why do they have to write it this way why can't they be simple right like why can't they write it <laughs> but you know uh, that i i enjoy working on uh, legal natural language processing for for the way the syntax is like it's not like how we actually speak so yeah uh, i'm not going to get into the details of the projects that i worked but another project that i found very interesting is when i worked with tweets um so when I was in university, um, I, along with one of my friends, we tried to understand why people tweet with the hashtag fail. So usually sometimes people have hashtag fail and we are trying to identify why people tweet that. Why would somebody boast about a failure? Right. So we began this project trying to understand why people do that. So we were targeting specific events uh, and we were like looking only at baking and cooking events and we were collecting tweets that involved a baking event or a cooking event. Maybe they were baking a cookie or they were making some biryani or something like that. And why did they have the hashtag fail? So we were obs- we were looking at the images and the text together and we noticed that most of the time the product or the food is actually good. So usually the hashtag fail is sort of a humble brag saying that okay uh, it didn't come out as i expected which means they have really a high bar uh, but you know it looks good like and the comments will be like oh come on it looks nice I, i'm sure this is yummy and things like that and sometimes uh, people have a hashtag fail because like they completely burnt out something or there is a device failure like they forgot to turn on the gas stove so like there is something beyond the failure that they are trying to say so uh like the point is that even though people have a hashtag fail in their tweet it's not that the event ended up in a failure it's that there is something behind uh the event that the person is trying to say so i enjoyed working in this project and yeah i mean it is a emnlp 2020 findings paper you can go read it if you want to it's fun actually that's awesome so what advice would you give someone new to data science and machine learning yeah i would say to learn the basics thoroughly uh i'll i'll speak from nlp perspective nlp perspective so i would ask people to look into data right like you don't have to right away start with a bird model look into the data and maybe start with a very simple model like you know a tfidf uh, feature with a simple logistic regression or maybe a tree based model could work so i think we need to set a strong baseline based on traditional models and then we can go into all these transformer models and maybe do fine tuning or whatever you feel like doing there but um i wouldn't encourage to just go start with the transform model for several reasons one thing is the carbon footprint that is involved in this like we don't want to be a part of you know like uh global warming and stuff so yeah uh i mean that's beyond the scope of this podcast i would say but then we should be um setting up strong baselines with traditional classifiers first 
and uh, the next thing i would uh, say is to make sure that there is no data, data leakage several times when we work with the interns or you know like young researchers like they leak data and then they are excited about the results and sometimes the results are accuracy right like they bring results based on accuracy so it is very important that we choose the right evaluation metric it, you may have like a 99% accuracy but your data might be like highly imbalanced so you should know to choose the right metric and um and then i think uh, beyond that follow standard practices right uh, since we are kind of a part of the future in building this entire a world i think it's necessary for us to be mindful of the ethical considerations like uh, follow standard practices like write a data statement if you are building a data set and if you are building a model have model cards like make sure everything is documented so this is something uh, i would encourage beginners to do and from a learning perspective i follow two things uh you know like uh instead of reading something from a random blog just go to the actual paper right like if, for example if you have to learn about bert just get the actual paper written by the authors and read it and that would give you more insights than the several blogs i mean there are some really good blogs about uh these technical papers but then i prefer going and reading the paper written by the author themselves yeah awesome so how do you stay updated with you know all the advances in the field given that it's like a growing field and do you have an upskilling plan yeah so um most of the time it's demand based uh, for example i was currently working on an nlp project which is like completely depending on the text and uh, while we were working on this project we realized that there could be features that are outside the actual text document like like the court cases so there are there could be other features that we could get from other cases as well so which uh, made me learn like graph neural networks right like right now i'm looking into graphs so one thing that happens naturally is uh, demand based depending on what your project is asking i'll go uh, read those things another thing i follow is um i whenever there is a conference usually i follow the acl conferences closely so when whenever there is a conference i keep watching uh twitter so there are usually tweets like nice summaries of paper like there are volunteers in the conference who write summaries for uh papers so you get to read the you know, you get the idea of a paper in maybe like five or six tweets so i this is this is not a traditional way to be updated about what's happening around but then i i follow i look into tweets about the popular papers and i go read those papers and then you know um sometimes i i'm currently taking a, a course in udemy like uh, as i mentioned like for graph neural networks so like depending on the demand or maybe what's happening around the world i pick one course i don't uh try to learn everything i know it's not possible to keep up with everything that's happening in the ai world so i'm taking one thing at a time and i'm taking it slowly awesome so tell us more about yourself like outside work what do you enjoy and get inspired by yeah so i like gardening like i live in a very cold place i live in minnesota it's like snow like seven or eight months a year but still i have like so many plants in my house uh, i do that 
and I enjoy visiting museums. So uh, again, this is because of my NLP work. So there was a time I worked on popular paintings like Mona Lisa and Garnica. Basically, I took the Wikipedia articles of these paintings and I was analyzing the text there, during which I happened to read the entire Wikipedia article and I sort of felt love in history. So I never liked history when I was in school, right? It was like a boring subject and I never understood why we have to love history. But right now, I'm so much into uh, history and I enjoy visiting museums and I'm a member of any sort of historical museums near me. And I go there and I imagine how our ancestors lived. Like, for example, right now I'm in North America and I go there and uh, like when they tell us about like how the Native Americans lived in this particular place, it, it kind of is very inspiring, right? Like how our ancestors spread, like how Homo sapiens spread across the world, how we built all these technologies and like kind of very thankful to our ancestors for uh, bringing us here today for every technology that they built. So I enjoy history and I enjoy visiting museums. And then I have a kid. So, you know, I go along with her to, you know, playgrounds or, you know, like, all those aquariums and stuff. So basically, yeah, that that's how my life is outside work. Very cool. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. For example, how data like sort of captures so many layers uh, that help you solve the problem and taking the time to understand that before going ahead to devising the solution and just explaining the beauty of natural language or human language, right? This is also something that I mentioned uh, in one of my courses that uh, natural language is one of the most exciting data you can work with because there's so much context and information richness uh, present inside and you know even to start digging it is uh, so much fun it's very mentally stimulating and you know very fulfilling when you get to solve the problem uncovering all of these stories Um, so it's been uh, very insightful and finally just one question since you've been both in the academia and industry uh, do you notice like any sort of differences in the research scene in academia versus uh, industry for NLP? Yeah right so uh, the difference is that in academia all we do is you know we want to bring the best results possible right we uh, we need to build several models or maybe build a model that is performing better than what the previous paper has so the goal would be to eventually write a solid paper like honestly speaking like while we try to solve a problem the goal is to write a solid paper about either uh, releasing a data set or maybe building a model or like some sort of technique that is the goal there in academia when it comes to industry it's all about product it's about satisfying the customer right your model might give you like a really high f score let's say let's say i'm getting 85 f score but if the remaining 15 percent were where the model is wrong Mm -hmm. if it is absurd it is going to affect your product so there is like the difference is that we need to make sure the product is like good enough for the customers. So uh, yeah, so when I first came here, 
like you know i was looking i was kind of surprised to learn the time that is spent in building a really good model like and you need to consider about everything like uh, like when in academy you can take a data set and start working here you need to think about ip issues can i actually use this data set can i actually use this particular model and uh, yeah the biggest difference i found is like after you built a model and after your model is successfully predicting things it might look good in numbers but maybe the customer is not satisfied mm-hmm. so satisfying the customer is the goal here it does not really matter if you use you you know a transformer model a traditional model would be sufficient in industry as long as you get a really good result but in case of academia you cannot just go say you know i mean i mean people are trying to say that right now right like uh but uh, you cannot just go say that i built a logistic regression model for this problem and uh, you cannot get a paper out of it so yeah that's the difference yeah and i think that needs to change right as long ah, as i agree problems, yeah of course i agree yeah i think we simplicity is the way to go we don't have to over complicate things i mean sometimes you know uh, there are times where we don't need a machine learning model right like when a problem is put in front of us why can't we just go with the rule based algorithm right like so that is the biggest question is especially with uh, like you asked earlier like with new researchers and new people uh, beginners in machine learning we need to ask ourselves is this even necessary like why can't we just have a rule based model and see if it works yeah yeah well thank you very much divya all of it was very insightful and you know really straightforward so thank you for being here thank you sanjana it was fun thank you for having me okay bye bye bye